Well, we come to the end of our series of, with the prophets Jonah and Nahum. Uh, starting off 2020 with this metaphor that spiritually we're all running somewhere. We're either running away from God, like Jonah was initially, or we're running toward God as Nineveh did when they responded initially to the call of God's discipline that was coming to them. Or we're running with God, which is something certainly that Nahum was doing because he was, as a prophet, he was hearing what God said and he was with conviction and not with resistance, he was responding to what God said to him versus Jonah who finally went, but he still did it reluctantly and he still ended up sucking his thumb at the end of it all. We're asking, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes or no to? Uh, if you've read ahead into Nahum chapter 3, as some of you have, and you've gotten acquainted with it, uh, your eyes might have bugged out a bit when you read it, and you might have wondered, as some people have wondered to me, what are we going to do with Nahum chapter 3? Because it's, uh, it's intense. It's intense. And when I read it closely, I asked, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? And then when I, when I we communicated with Ashley this week, Ashley, who, who led our, our music this morning and is leading our music this morning, she messaged me at the beginning of the week, diligently asking, so what's, what's the theme going to be for this Sunday? And, uh, and I responded by asking in jest if we have any worship songs that deal with death and destruction. <laughs> and then Evan on, on acoustic guitar, Ashley's fiance, was pretty sure he could find some. Uh, but they would have been in other styles of music than what we, we sing on Sunday morning. And that would be for those of you who said... I want to hear more screamo. I want to hear more thrash. I want to hear more rap. Okay? And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we can't accommodate that uh, for those who said that on the survey. If you did. Or really heavy metal. It, it's not often, it seems, that the prophetic books are preached or, or taught on Sundays. And I think the main reason is because when people read them and, and when, when pastors read them, they're more discouraging than they are encouraging. And I'm not going to go out and say that there's fear or there, that, that there's an unwillingness. I'm sure that happens at times. But I think the main reason is because there's a lot of negative in them. There's some positive, but there's a, there tends to be a lot more that makes us go, oh my, than go, oh my, that's great, Right? There's almost always hope foretold by the prophets. Uh, but you have to get through the much longer descriptions of discipline in order to get to those encouraging parts about redemption, restoration. Longest book of the, of the prophets is Isaiah, 66 chapters long. And, and through Isaiah, city after city, country after country, nation after nation, are told of God's impending discipline. It gets depressing after a while. 
Nahum is much shorter. Nahum's three chapters long. Uh, only two prophets are shorter than Nahum, Obadiah and Haggai. So I'm going to read Nahum chapter 3 uh, with a bit of comment and with the heads up that it gets pretty intense. So intense that I thought we shouldn't put the words on the screen. Here we go. First seven verses of Nahum chapter 3. This is about Nineveh. Nineveh that had repented after hearing Jonah. Now about 150 or so years later or more, this is God's word to Nineveh. It's the sequel through the prophet Nahum. Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses, bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses, countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies. All because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her prostitution, families by her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vile, set you up as a spectacle, and it will come about that all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will grieve for her? Where will I seek comforters for you? Whew. Is that intense or what? I want to encourage you first off when you hear that, that there may be somebody here today who hears that and says, you know what, that's what I think God thinks about me. And here's my encouragement to you. Very, very definitely this. The reason that God spoke so baldly, so intensely to Nineveh is because Nineveh had completely turned its back on God. Okay? So if you're at a place and you say, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to have a good relationship with God, but, but I don't think God will accept me. That is, that is a lie from the pit. Amen? Because if you have that desire in your heart to know God, to follow Jesus, this does not apply to you. Amen? Because where we are truly desiring, earnestly, desperately, and even on our way to that, wanting to know God, wanting to relate to God, wanting to experience God, God says, I am here waiting for you. My condemnation does not rest on you. And so he says these words to Nineveh because Nineveh, as a, as a, as a city, Assyria as a nation, had turned its back on God. The word woe, the first word out of the gate in, in most all translations is that word W-O-E. Woe, it pronounces sorrow and death and very bad news. And Nineveh, with that image of corpses, people tripping over corpses, Nineveh was going to experience what it had been doing in the lives of others. 
And God would shame Nineveh because Nineveh had turned her back on God. There's that image, this, these, these verses, this metaphor of prostitution, this metaphor of harlotry is something that God would actually speak to Israel as well through the prophets, saying, you have, by denying me and by giving yourself to other gods, he says, you have spiritually prostituted yourselves. And to Nineveh, it was with no turning back. Nineveh is a nation that said, this is what we want. We don't need God for whatever reason, and we're going to go our way. May that not be the choice that we make as a nation. Amen? May it never be. Let me carry on. Verses 8 through 16. Are you better than no Ammon, which was situated by the waters of the Nile, with water surrounding her, whose, whose rampart was in the sea, whose wall consisted of the sea? Ethiopia was her might, Egypt too, without limits. Put and Lubim were among her helpers, yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Even her small children were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound with fetters. You too will become drunk. You'll be hidden. You too will search for a refuge from the, from the enemy. All your fortifications are fig trees with ripe fruit. When shaken, they will fall into the eater's mouth. What an image. Behold, your people are women in your midst. Now, please understand this. That in, in that day, in a very patriarchal society, this was a reference to a lack of strength. Uh, this is not what we would say in our culture today. Are we clear? Um, so I just want us to understand how things were viewed in a patriarchal society is what that means. The gates of your land are open wide to your enemies. Fire consumes your gate bars. This is a, this is a vision and a picture of what's going to happen to Nineveh. Draw for yourself water for the siege. This is written facetiously. Strengthen your fortifications. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mortar. There fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. It will consume you as the locust does. Multiply yourself like the creeping locust. Multiply yourself like the swarming locust. You've increased your traitors more than the stars of heaven. The creeping locust strips and flies Away. Nineveh was an incredibly self-satisfied. It was, it, was, it, was, it was the city of cities in that day. It was the greatest city. It was the capital of Assyria. It was the place to be. And, and I have no doubt that people in Nineveh had a sense of, of safety, of freedom. Nobody could touch them. Nobody could hurt them. I mean, they, they, they had pushed back enemies before and they would do it again. No fear. And no idea what was coming. 
And God said, you will just continue to indulge yourself. You'll get drunk. You'll be inebriated. But you will be falling off like ripe fruit on a tree. You'll be falling down into the hands of your attackers because you have turned your back against me, God says. And Nineveh, this the strongest, this superpower of the world at that time, Assyria, Nineveh, mounting an offense against God or even a successful defense would be nowadays kind of like North Korea actually thinking that it could push back an attack from the West. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, would be, it would be awful, right? And that's Nineveh only multiplied many, many times about Nineveh's strength versus the strength of God. All-powerful God, the only one who could actually raise from the dead our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And then it ends, just there, three more verses. Your guardsmen are like the swarming locust. Nay, I'm saying it doesn't matter how many people there are among you, and it doesn't matter how many soldiers that you have, even if it's like locusts, it's not going to matter. You cannot stand against the strength of God any more than the Egyptians could stand up against the strength of God. God had shown it. He had proved it. He demonstrated it. He said, your guardsmen are like swarming locusts. Your marshals are like hordes of grasshoppers settling in the stone walls on a cold day. But the sun rises and they flee because they see what's coming. The place where they are is not known. They fled. Your shepherds are sleeping, O king of Assyria. Your nobles are lying down. Your people are scattered on the mountains and there's no one to regather them. There is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable by choice. All who hear about you will clap their hands over you. For on whom has not your evil passed continually? question comes up, I think the question gets begged, so God, why are you being so harsh on them? Like, why don't you just give them a good rap? Um, hard enough so that you know they repent again. And, and let me suggest two things. The first is that God knows the heart. Amen? And if there's, the second thing is that is the struggle that I have had, and probably many of you have, have, have too, about why such intense exhaustive responses. Like, why take them all out? And a helpful explanation uh, that, that was brought to me is the comparison of, think of ISIS. You know, we would say as Canadians, and we would say the, 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 the backdrop of, of, of this denomination and of, of many of you, some of you here is Mennonite. And as such, we're pacifists, many of us. We would say, there's, I, I, don't, I would not want to lift a finger uh, in battle because I'm a pacifist. And, and there are various views on that here. So why, Lord? Why wipe them all out? But what we understand is that the cultures 
of many of those countries that were around Israel, they were barbaric like ISIS. You remember when ISIS would put on video and post video of beheadings? You say, that's just unbelievable. But that was the kind of treachery, that was the kind of, of severe behavior of a country like Assyria and people like Nineveh. And those are the times when, when I will go, yeah, I get it. I get, I get it that, that there's a response in kind. It's awful that it, that it comes to that. But I get it. After Jonah, Nineveh was headed in the right direction, but all it takes is one or two generations. Just takes one or two generations. Just, just takes a few decades. And people will completely forget the word of the Lord. King Josiah, they found the word of the Lord. It had been, been, it had been lost. The recording of God's word had been lost when he was the king. And God has given us opportunity to be sure that doesn't happen in Canada. Uh, we are in a battle. That battle is spiritual. And we are in a battle with blessing. We are in a battle that we lead with love. We are in a battle that we lead with hope. We are in a battle that we lead with truth. But we do not shy away from it. We don't shy away from truth. But we don't offer it in a condemning way so much as we offer it to say, this is what Jesus offers you. I mean, nothing could be better. We have great opportunity in this country to help people to have hope. In a world that is getting more and more confusing, a world that's getting, I think for a lot of people, more and more uncertain and, 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 and a fearful. Nineveh and cities like it tend to have a misunderstanding of, of, of three things. First, the reality of the power of God. Nowadays, in our culture, it's often because of science that people will deny God. Say, well, I don't need God because I have science. I would say, yeah, but God's the creator of all that's good, and so I want to give him thanks for anything that has to do with science that's true. Uh, because God created things with that order. And the reality of the power of God, when we don't see the power of God at work, People become discouraged and people begin to turn away. That's why we continue to ask, Lord, show your, manifest your power, manifest your presence among your people. But for the right reason, not for our personal gain. And let's be honest, oftentimes when we pray things from God, all we have in mind is personal gain. It may it always be that it's for God's glory that we ask for his presence and his activity. The second thing that, that's misunderstood is the certainty of God's justice. I mean, God is unseen, and so it's easy to say, yeah, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can get away with it. God's not going to touch me. He's not going to hurt me. He hasn't shown me that he actually exists. Well, he has, though, in his word. God's personality did not change between the Old and the New Testaments. The sacrifice is what changed. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and this was the final sacrifice. It was Jesus, the perfect 
Lamb of God. No more sacrifices needed. But God's personality didn't change. And if we make the decision to turn completely against God, he's not going to say, well, all right, doesn't matter. I'm just a nice old guy. God will say, I will let you go the way you've chosen. And the third thing is the extent of the grace of God. I say this carefully. Some of us need to hear this morning that God's grace is very extensive. Amen? It is extensive. It reaches far and deep and wide and high. To the genuine seeker, God's grace is measureless. Grace is about God sparing us what we deserve. And praise God for that. But at the same time, grace is not without its boundaries. You okay with that? Grace is not without its boundaries. Because there is a line between grace and permissiveness. When grace begins to sound like no matter what you do, no matter how long you do it, God's okay with that. I want to humbly suggest that, that, that God's not. We come to God just as we are. God extends his grace to us when we're sincerely seeking. And then God says, now I want to transform you. More and more into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. But if we deny that, we run a pretty big risk. And Hebrews 10, 26 says, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It can be enticing to return to, 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 to old, health, unhealthy ways. Do you ever get that draw? Think, Man, this is hard. This is hard, this following Jesus thing, this, this obeying God thing, this trying to listen to the Spirit thing. It's difficult. Do you, ever get, do you ever get that temptation to go back to whatever it might be? Maybe to anger, to let it loose. Maybe to gossip, to let it loose. Maybe to doubt, to let it take priority. Maybe to bitterness. Say, I haven't heard from God the way I want to hear from God, and, and I'm just going to get bitter. Or it might be addiction. How many people run to pornography? How many people run to drugs? How many people run to alcohol for comfort? That will not last. And the Spirit of God and the Church of God has victory over those things. Will you say amen? Victory over those things for us to walk in, not that it's an easy road. Wide is the gate to destruction. Narrow is the road. Few will find it to everlasting life. Nineveh went from repentance back to its former ways of war and cruelty and injustice and pride and and massive immorality. It had been used by God to bring discipline to Israel. Israel had already gone into exile. But that was the reason Assyria was used by God to discipline Israel was because 
Assyria had abandoned those, what some today might call old-fashioned, antiquated, irrelevant uh, existence of, of the church. And Assyria had given those things up for world domination. That's what they wanted. How does that reversal happen? Returning to our old ways is usually either one of these things. Either it's a slow drift. Slowly but surely our relationship gets farther and farther apart. It happens in human relationships too, right? When we don't talk to God and we talk to God less and less and less and there's this slow drift till finally we find ourselves not even caring about God. Or it happens through sudden impact. When some major crisis hits life and that has derailed so many people's faith. But brothers and sisters, when that happens, we have got to cling on for dear life sometimes. We've got to cling on for dear life because God has not left us. And God grieves with us. I believe that, that just as Jesus was on the cross, God hurts and he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of deep darkness and he experiences our hardship, pain with us. The battle rages in the mind and the battle rages in the heart. Nahum chapter 3, as I said earlier, begins with the word woe, W-O-E. And woe means you can expect what follows to be sorrow, distress, trouble. Either we're going to hear God pronounce that judgment, woe, W-O-E, or we need to say, woe, W-H-O-A. And we need to slow down and stop to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. To listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us individually, to us as families, to us as a church. This Wednesday uh, is the beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday. And, and I want to I encourage and challenge you as, as the wrap-up to this series. You know, uh, there's a tradition in, in some faith traditions where people will give up something for Lent, you know? Like, I'm going to give up chocolate, or I'm going to give up... There, there's a much deeper significance to that, that the period of Lent is really intended for and meant for giving up things that distract us and keep us from God so that we would get closer to God. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I, I intend to do it. I want to encourage you, you find something, you identify something that means a lot to you that you could go without for whatever period of time that you would, you would decide. It might be a meal, it might be certain food, it might be electronics. And you give that up, whether it's for the entire uh, 40 or so odd days from Wednesday until Easter, or if you go WHOA, whoa, I'm not going to do that. Then you identify a period of time. And you set that aside and replace that time that you would spend with it, you replace that time talking to God. Replace that time with getting into God's word, reading a gospel, reading something in, in the Bible. 
Maybe you need to do it with somebody else. I want to encourage you. I, I want to I challenge you to do that. And do it with somebody for accountability. Do it with somebody so that that will help you to do it and to carry it out. And continue to consider the question, what is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes or no to? And I have no doubt that if we seek God with all of our hearts, God will, God will make it plain. The Holy Spirit will make it clear to us. I want to invite the, the musicians up. And I, I, want, to, I want to end with a little story. I've, I've been reading this book by Dutch Sheets. It's called Authority in Prayer. And there's this great little story he tells that I think is, is, is really relevant. In an old publication called the Pentecostal Evangel, this story was written about a man by the name of Samuel S. Skull. He was a farmer. One night, a fierce desert storm struck with rain, hail, and high wind. At daybreak, feeling sick and fearing what he might find, Samuel went to survey the loss. The hail had beaten the garden into the ground. The house was partially unroofed. The hen house had blown away and dead chickens were scattered about. Destruction and devastation were everywhere. While standing dazed, evaluating the mess and wondering about the future, he heard a stirring in the lumber pile that was the remains of the hen house. A rooster was climbing up through the debris and didn't stop climbing until he had mounted the highest board in the pile. And that old rooster was dripping wet. Most of his feathers were blown away. But as the sun came over the eastern horizon, he flapped his bony wings and proudly crowed. When you feel that life has got you to that place of devastation and destruction. May I encourage you, like that rooster, (laughs) everything else, so much, almost everything else was decimated. Yet that rooster did what was part of his DNA, part of his nature. Get up every morning, saw the sun rising in the east, got up and he crowed. Are you ready to crow? I don't want to do that together right now, but I, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize this morning that we are all running somewhere spiritually. And as we as we enter this this wonderful period called Lent, as we begin to look toward Easter. And I think of the disciples' lives feeling decimated, destroyed. The master had died and they hadn't understood everything that he had said. But then on that day, to meet him that day and not to recognize him initially and 
hardly able to believe who was before their eyes, what was going on. Thank you, Jesus. But there you were. Part of your DNA, part of your nature is eternity. And I thank you that you have placed within our beings a new nature. Your nature, your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And church, I, I want to encourage us and challenge us today as we enter into that period of Lent. Say, Lord, I, I choose to run with you. Or if you're not at that place yet, that you would say, God, I choose to run toward you. I choose to not run away from you. And I want to encourage you today, it's entirely up to you, but I want to encourage you to take a step that we don't normally do. And I, I want to encourage you, whether while we're singing or after we sing, you just come forward to the front. And if you don't come forward, I'm not going to look at you and say, ah, you, you're not committed to this. I just want to give you this offer as, as an expression of response. To come forward and to say, yes, Lord, I want to run to you. I want to run with you. And then if you specifically want prayer, as I invite also the, the altar ministry team to come, that if you look for somebody who's got a tag on, or me, I don't have a tag, but if you need to pray with somebody, we'd love to pray with you. Lord, I want to run with you, and I confess, there are days I, I don't feel like getting out of bed. this morning, Lord, that sometimes life is devastating. When we've experienced just the devastation of changes in life. But Lord, help us to remember that, that goofy little rooster. And that no matter what, we will not stop reaching up to you because you will pull us out in due time. Something that we could never do on our own. Oh Lord, I pray that for anyone here today who needs to be pulled up by you, needs to be pulled up out of the destruction, needs to be pulled up out of the devastation, needs to be pulled up out of the pain, out of the grief, out of the sorrow. We would say, Lord, I, I will run with you. I will take your hand and I will follow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.